Hey, today uh, we kick off a brand new teaching series uh, called Fiddlesticks, Now What? Uh, a series on flourishing, and we start with this. Um, a few series ago, we did a uh, we worked through some some of the work by a theologian, a writer named Jurgen Moltmann, uh, and his his kind of angle and his expertise is really kind of that. Um, like the stuff about what happens after this life. So, um, or like this idea of uh, life of post-death or the parousia of Christ or the return of Christ. He just is really, really good at that because that's a really crowded area to, to be able to write in. There's a lot of people, but, but there's a lot of weird stuff in that area as well. And he's been the most balanced, uh, thoughtful person that I've read in that way. So uh, not that that's what this series is about, but if you're interested in, in that, he's got a theology of hope or whatever. There's a bunch of resources towards him. Just look at Moltman and you'll figure it out. Um, but essentially in his work, as we were working through it previously, um, he talked about how the future can be broken down into two different categories. One is called, he calls it the futurum, and, and the other one is called the ad- adventum. Futurum, adventum, two different kind of things. This this is how we think and process what the future has in store for us. I'm, I'm going to attempt to define it using my own words because his are kind of a little bit, uh, just there's a lot of them. And so uh, my interpretation of it is, is as follows. The futurum is this idea of the future realization of that which is forecast. In other words, there are things in our life we can look forward to or, or we can look at and say, well, in the future, I can plan for this because this is what I'm expecting to do. Whenever you sign a 30-year mortgage on your house or a 15-year mortgage on your house, you know in your mind for the next 30 years, I've got a payment due in the fifth of the month for the X amount of dollars. And at the end of that time, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be paid off and I'm going to own this house and our deed to my car. Or, or when you sign the papers on your car and it's going to be six years or seven years or whatever it is, you need to plan ahead for like those kind of payments. That's, that's thinking ahead. That's thinking of the future. That's just what my future is going to bring. I'm going to get a bill on the first of the month and it's going to be due. And so we do that sort of thing. You should, and many of you do, plan with some sort of future in, in mind. When you family budget, when you plan your family vacation, uh, when you plan for continuing education and where you want to go after you graduate high school or whether, whether you want to continue on after, uh, after college and go get a graduate degree, you, you're thinking ahead going, is this what I want my future to be a part of? Or maybe it's career advancement. You're looking at your current job and saying, where do I want to be in five years? If you've ever sat down and done one five-year, 10-year plans sort of thing, you've been thinking in the con- futurum model of kind of sort of planning. And planning is critical and essential and it's rather commonplace. Like we think about it even when we don't think about it. A lot of the links that we might click on how to be sure you're ready for retirement, how to be sure you're saving enough for your kid's college, or how do you be sure that blah, 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 come from the angle of future. And they're telling you these things are coming your way. Here's, where, here's how much you should have saved at age 30 or age 40 or whatever. And, and so uh, it's not, it's not uh, off for us to kind of think in that way. We're there a lot. But then there's also another angle of what comes and what's in our future called the adventum, the arrival of things that were, uh, were unforeseen. Um, that word adventum, that's where we get the word advent that we celebrate at Christmas. It, it, it says it's not the coming of Christ or the incarnation of Christ. It has to do with the arrival of something seemingly from out of nowhere. And a lot of times it's not the fact that we didn't think it, like we, we, we don't see it coming um, we know that it exists, but we just don't know when. And so the arrival, we never really have, have like planned for it. Like a couple of weeks ago, I got a jury duty notice in the mail. Listen, I know that people get jury duty. I know that I'm probably on the list somewhere. I've never done it before. And it showed up on my mail. And I, I remember opening the box and being like, 
like, oh, this is the arrival of something. I'm not like, what is this? I know what it is, and I know that people get it all the time. But for me, luckily for me, it had to do with like the next couple of weeks, and the courts are obviously closed until whatever. So like, <laughs> I just ripped it up. But anyways, you shouldn't do that normally, but it works in my case. Um, but that's the arrival of something that kind of changes. Oh, I guess my future is going to look a little bit different now with this arrival of something that I know is out there, but I didn't really think it was for me. I knew it was coming, but like I didn't know it was coming. And it's because of the adventum pieces of life that you should have an emergency fund. This is why they'd say, well, make sure you save up for when your car breaks down. And you're like, do you know something about my car that I don't know about? When's it going to break down? You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm not speaking death over you. I'm just saying cars break down, things happen in life. Well, when is it? Well, oh, we don't know. It's a bit like the arrival of there's a knocking in my car. Now it won't start. Now what am I going to do with all of this? And that, those are kind of commonplace ones, jury duty, car breaking down. But there's an essential, like there's a piece of, um, of this uh, adventum that is a variable in that the more rare it is, usually the greater impact it has. So there's this variable of rarity involved in adventum sort of stuff. There are bigger things that can kind of come out. And when they happen, you didn't see it coming. And the arrival of it really just like kind of sends you into shell shock mode a little bit. And you're like, I don't know kind of distorts reality at some point. In investing lingo, they call it a black swan. Like, be, be prepared for a, a, a massive dip, like the day after 9-11 or just a few months ago with the stock market or whatever. Like, all of these, the stars align, supposedly. And everything that felt really, really safe, well, that'll never happen. And then the arrival of something happens, and nobody saw it coming in that way. Um, or this arrival, like we're all experiencing right now, this idea of, uh, not this idea, the reality of a pandemic and this new environment that we currently live in. We knew something like this could happen, right? I mean, you've got the post of Bill Gates back several years ago talking about this stuff. You, you're looking at the, um, the, uh, the movement of people towards urbanization, gathering the smaller clusters, making these cities as opposed to rural like this. Whenever people live in homes that are like stacked upon each other, like apartment complex, and there's something that could be easily spread. We should not be surprised that something like this has taken place, right? With the globalization and the flattening of the world and the access that we have to all kinds of countries, we, it, this is like primed for something like this. And, and we know that pandemics exist. I mean, they make movies about them uh, and, and, and you read about them and you read about the Spanish flu of 1918. And you, you, it, so it's not, like, it's not like we felt like we were... Uh, uh, invulnerable to this, um, but then it arrived. And then you're like, wow, fiddlesticks, what do we do with, with all of this? Well, now, well, now what? Where do we go from here? And, and the reason that Moltmann writes about it, he says that that has to do with how we handle death and or the parousia, which is the return of Christ. Oftentimes that fits into that mental category of adventum. We know that someday we're going to die. Um, or, and if it's not death, if you're a Christian, you believe that it's either death or Jesus returns or something like that, or, or somehow the world changes in that way. Um, but you don't think about it. We live as if we're kind of immortal now, right? Until something arrives and the doctor has some bad news for us, and then death becomes uh, not an adventum, but a futurum sort of thing, uh, then our shifting kind of changes on these things. But a lot of times it fits into this category of it's far off and it doesn't have an impact uh, sort of on my life. And then when it does, when the arrival shows up, when it's here, when the news is given to you uh, that something needs to change 
in your life, you go into rethinking mode. You talk to people who found out that they're diabetic, and all of a sudden, their diet has to, has to change, and they have to rethink some things. They have to review, I really like Mountain Dew, but it's going to kill me, so I have to stop drinking it, or whatever you know, the case may be in that way. And so we go through this period of rethinking in Adventum sort of phases of life. And we're going through one right now um, in the context of the, the pandemic. I mean, this has forced us to kind of pause and rethink a few things. And the stay-at-home order has made, I don't know, I'll just speak personally for Kylie and myself. Uh, we begin to realize that we don't need to go to the store as often as we had been doing. I know that's trivial, but it's just a reality. Like, we realized it previously, if I needed duct tape or she needed eggs or if I don't pick any item in the house or whatever, we'd just be like, I'm going to go run up to Walmart and I'm going to go grab it. And now what we do is we create this list and I go to Costco once a month, right? And this is like, it's a change and it's been kind of refreshing, sometimes inconvenient, but like different, like a reality of I don't think I need to do that. I thought I needed to do that more than I do, right? Or even uh, perhaps for you, like even household spending. I know that um, this has probably caused a crisis of uh, finances, whether or not your income has been cut or, um, you know, just there's a lack of place to spend money and really a, an un- uncertainty and unawareness about what's coming and how long this is going to last. And so hopefully you've been able to kind of sit down and be like, all right, we probably need to like either track our spending, limit our spending or do whatever. And it's been, I, I don't know why we found fairly easy to not spend as much in this moment. And it helps because we're just stuck at home watching Netflix. But, um, and then the last thing, that, the, uh, even more trivial probably, but a fun one, has been uh, we've held several different Zoom happy hours now with friends who are like out of state, right? Friends who have used to live here but now live in Indiana or Denver or wherever. And we log in and we, we play games and we chat and we do this. And we look at them and, and we say, this was really fun. Like, we should do this more often. We should have done this prior to all of this taking place. Like nothing about this opened this up. Zoom type capabilities have always been there and we've just never like taken the steps to do this. And yet it's been really fun. We feel like a, a greater connection with some of these people as a result of this because this advent, this arrival of this new situation caused us to rethink this. And I, and I think, I hope that we'll do things differently moving out of this as a result of this rethinking process. We could have been doing these things before, but this arrival has made it easier to see it through. And we've seen this before uh, in the arrival of a potential terminal illness causing this sort of rethinking, like I mentioned with diabetes, or if you've talked to anybody that got, got cancer, you see, um, you see the news coming in of, of cancer, and all of a sudden, like, things that used to be really prioritized in their life begin to kind of take a shift in priority, a backseat in terms of, well, that's just, you know, this is, my, my life is about my family and my friends and, and, and there's been a greater, they would say, I think, uh, prioritization of life now that um, that adventum has come and now it's like a reality for us. So here's what I'd like to propose. With that kind of, uh, as a base uh, of where we're moving forward with this. If, if that's true, and you may disagree that that's not true, and that's fine, but I'm gonna assume that that's kind of how we are, are seeing things work, and maybe you're experiencing a, a similar reality that we, 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 we've covered, that we're already in this mode of rethinking. And since the uh, community commonality for Eastlake is interpreting the way of Jesus, 
in our local context. In other words, the reason that binds us together is not because you like the music or like gathering in old theater. The, the reason that we gather together is to learn and practice the way of Jesus um, in, in our modern day context. Um, and with the rethinking piece, I'd like to kind of combine those two things. So here's what I'd like to propose. Um, in light of our current situation, has anything changed in how we view flourishing? Um, in how we view what it means to succeed, and how we view what it means to follow Jesus. If we're rethinking all of these things in practical life, it would be foolish for us to ignore the reality that it might change how we interpret the teachings of Jesus or some of the ways that we practice and follow the ways of Jesus uh, moving forward. So we're going to do a, I don't know how long this is going to be, five, six, seven week part series where we are going to dive into specifically one area of teaching uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chap- uh, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, uh, which uh, is critical and core component of Jesus' teaching because it was written by a guy named Matthew who was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, only, let's see, uh, two, three of the, the Gospels were written as Jesus' disciples, and Matthew took it upon himself to really uh, focus in and on and hone in on um, the teachings of Jesus in a um, like narrative format. You, you'll, you'll see like there's basically four teaching blocks in the book of Matthew interspersed with like little activities of where he would go. And this is really the first one. And what Matthew really did, I think, um, was not captured a moment in history of Jesus on a mountainside teaching the people, but thinking back and reflecting on, because he would have had 20, 30 years to kind of reflect on all of this. He wouldn't write his gospel until 20 or 30 years after all of the events took place. So it wasn't a daily diary. Today, Jesus did this. It would be him reflecting on, here's what I remember most about being a disciple of Christ, being a disciple of Jesus and all of the things that he said and he did. And I think he would summarize these into different teaching blocks, and we're going to focus on this one block. So it's not a sermon. It's really like a collection of his favorite, of Matthew's favorite sermons of Jesus. In the same way that if you attended Eastlake for a five-year period, you would hear probably similar patterns of series emerging. I only have like a few messages. I just repackage them. <laughs> and like, but I have like five basic thoughts, and I don't know if it's five. I'm just picking a number. But like, if you've been around any length of time, if you've watched some even if it's not in the context of, of teaching, but like um, in, in the context of a TEDx talk or a medical field or something like that, everybody has like angles and niches that they fall into. These would be like the teaching niches of Jesus, in, specifically in terms of, of the way, as, as Matthew kind of perceived it. Maybe it's limited in that way, but uh, that's where it's at. And, and I think that's, I think Matthew's trying to communicate that very, very clearly when he right at the very beginning in Matthew chapter five when he kicks this whole thing off because he positions Jesus going on top of a mountaintop to preach to the people and tell the people the new kind of way to connect with God, which is very reminiscent of who else in the Old Testament, the imagery, who went on a mountaintop to bring down the news of what God was like and how to connect with him. It's this idea of Moses did this on Mount Sinai, now Jesus is doing this here. Jesus is the new and better Moses. He's got this collection of thoughts and here's what it takes to be known as the people of God. Here's what God is expecting from the people um, that he loves. And then there's this part where it says like, he, he sat down with his disciples and he looked across them and then it says there he opened his mouth or some translations say he took a long breath and here's what comes out that's like his I think that's like code for us of you know like like preparing us for something significant um it would be weird I think for him to be like this is 
you know, took place today, as opposed to just these are the words that came out of that flowed out of the mouth of Jesus. And that word, that breath, that word breath sometimes can mean ruach or the spirit. Here's the spirit of the essence of what Jesus said moving forward in all of this. And then he goes on and he's going to say a bunch of different things. It starts off really easy with things that I think we can always get behind. Like these are like the very first parts known as the Beatitudes are what I call evergreen. They work no matter what. They work in times of success, in times of failure. They work in times of pandemic and they work in times of like every, we're all going to the malls, all right? Um, so there's nothing unique in this way. We always love some of this stuff. I'll read a few of them. Matthew chapter three, um, or fa- chapter five, excuse me, starting in verse three. Blessings on the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. He's gonna go off. He's gonna do a ton of, uh, a ton of teachings, but throughout, he's going to summarize a few points and he's going to say, listen, if you're poor in spirit, if like you're hurting, if there's like pain involved in this, if it is, if it is uh, an emotional battle to be able to hear and to even show up in a place like this, it, because there's shame involved and there's all kinds of stuff involved, listen, like the kingdom of heaven is yours. There's good news in the kingdom of heaven for people like you. Love that. Um, and that word at the very beginning, like sometimes you've heard um, blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are, but we don't say blessed, blessed are you or whatever. A lot of times um, th- that word translates to happiness or oh the joy or oh the happiness of those who are poor in spirit. For the, good, the kingdom of heaven has really good news for you. What I'm about to tell you is gonna be good news for you. And then he goes on verse four, blessings on the mourners, you're gonna be comforted. If you're mourning something, if you're grieving something, I've got good news for you. There's comfort on its way. Blessings on the meek, on the meek, because you're gonna inherit the earth, which is like the opposite of what the meek usually get in the way the world typically works. The meek get trampled on. The meek are the ones that are left behind. The meek are the ones that don't get the positions with all the you know perks and things that come along with CEO privileges that you there's, there's, a, there's a world that rewards the powerful and the aggressive or whatever. And in this, he's going, listen, if you're meek, I'm telling you, you're gonna inherit the earth. There's, there's something in this for you as well. Blessings on those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. And I know your translation might say hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. Actually, the, the Greek word there can be flipped either or. It's the same exact, some translations do it this way and this way, but in, in all of the different places, those, those two words are basically interchangeable in this way. So when you read it in this way, blessed are those who hunger and thirst and we're so desperate for God's justice in the situation that we find ourselves in, because you're going to be satisfied. Blessings on the merciful. Thank you for being merciful. You'll receive mercy yourselves. Listen to like the optimism in this. Like if you were sitting there hearing this being a pattern of Jesus' teachings, how would you not get behind? How would you not like mark in your calendar, I need to show up to every one of these things. This seems like a new way of living and a new way of life. And, and it seems like there's, there's actually hope here in spite of the world, the broken world that I've been coming from that is uh, so much different than that. And so the Beatitudes, again, something we can very much get behind. And there's a couple more. I won't go into all of them for now. But what comes after those two, two things or, or, or after that set of values? Um, and then when he goes in to break these things down and be like, here's them practically playing out. What comes next is considered to be oftentimes quite difficult. And if you've ever read this in the context of safety and, and progress in life and you're doing pretty good and things are kind of working out for you, um, they, they, they are still, we still like them. We still like to read them. They sound really good. It's just actually putting them into praxis 
um, or practice or whatever that makes it very, very difficult to actually do. We like the sound of them when it comes to actionable behavior. We're good at evasion techniques. We think, well, that's great, but that just doesn't work in the real world. Like, I like the um, optimism of that, or the, but, but it's a little bit utopian. Like, that doesn't work in the world that I live in. That's not how this sort of thing functions. Um, we've found that some of the things have traditionally been found to be too unrealistic, too difficult, too outside of normal behavioral expectations, too out of touch with how the world actually works. And so my question is, will we now, now that the advent of something that has caused a rethinking for us, will we read those things as too awkward, too out of place, too whatever, in that exact same light, or will we potentially read them differently? Because we're seeing so many things that we thought would be so difficult. That's too difficult. You're going to tell me we're not going to have any live sports for a month? You're going to, wait, hold on. You're going to tell me that stores are going to be classified as essential or non-essential and some of them are going to close. You're going to tell me that Brent can't go to the gym. Not that he would, but he couldn't. If he, even if he wanted to, he couldn't go to the gym. To, and maybe you've noticed. Thank you for that. Um, you've, you, you're going to tell me that all of these things are going to take place. That seems too out there. That seems too crazy. That seems too unrealistic. And all of a sudden, we're living in this mode right now where we're like, oh man, that's forced reality for us. Maybe this isn't as far out of bounds as I thought. And, 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 and um, again, this is going to be like your own, we're going to read through this stuff together. We're going to progress through this through the rest of the series. You're going to be able to pick and choose kind of, uh, you know, especially if you're a non-Christian, you get to figure out what works and what, not, what works for you. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, like Matthew said, this is core and critical. This is not stuff that we can be like, I like this and this and this, but not this. Well, I'm going to leave behind this. It comes with it. So my, my, my hope is maybe this new situation, this new context will provide a new lens by which we've read this. Because we've read, we've gone through Matthew 5 through 7 uh, before at Eastlake. I've probably done two or three series on this kind of material. But I've done it in times where things were relatively normal. You could get on a plane and go visit somewhere, or go to Disneyland, or go to the movies, or all of the crazy stuff that you can't do anymore right now. So what changes now with a new reality where we can't say, well, that just doesn't fit reality, because our sense of what fits reality is so much different. And that's the unique. That could be a potentially a gift, and I don't want to miss it. That could be a gift that this season is giving us. That now we get to rethink and relook at this. Um, a theme is going to emerge. Uh, uh, we're gonna, I won't go into any more of the Matthew text today. We'll save that for the next week as we kind of process through this. But I'll, I'll just preface it with this. A theme is about to emerge uh, that is going to be challenging to our core throughout this entire thing. Um, something that isn't exactly spelled out, but there's going to be an underlying assumption that is going to be made about how you then understand what he says about don't worry about what you have to wear or what you have to buy or what you have to eat, you know, all of this stuff that's going to show up in a few verses. Um, Charles Taylor, uh, this philosopher or whatever, identifies one of the most powerful ideas in modern civilization that is currently being challenged uh, for us, and it is the affirmation of ordinary life. 
a life of work and family, a life of health, wealth, and longevity, a life of ease in the absence of pain. And that's what human striving should be primarily about. And everything about what you do and everything that we invest our time into and our jobs and the marketplace and how we invest our, 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 our real estate and stocks and all of this should go to making our lives easier, more enjoyable. There's longevity involved in that. We should all live until we're 85. We should all, you know, or older or whatever. We should all have all of these different expectations and everything should point to an easier way to do life. And he's saying in this way, even the markets that we've been so immersed in that we don't even understand um, how, we, we don't understand the, the actuality of it. We just know that it's there. Speaks to how powerful this is. Adam Smith, the father of modern economics, said all art, sciences, or sciences, law and government, wisdom and even virtue itself should serve ordinary life. And while those are fine and good and I want you to have long and happy lives and I want you to you know, not have money be a factor that's gonna cause stress in your marriage and your way you treat your kids and jobs and all that kind of stuff, I, I get it, I understand that, I'm not anti that. But what, I'm, what, I'm, what he's going to address, he's going to question, and what this season might push us towards addressing and asking the question for ourselves, is, is that really the point of everything? Should everything in our life go towards the affirmation of ordinary life? Should the fact that we miss sports because they provide some sort of escape and temporary whatever for us, should, should that, is it so important that we get back to our ordinary life as fast as possible in this way. Miroslav Volf, um, who I'm basing part of this series, are basically two books that I'm pulling up from from this series, uh, wrote a book called Flourishing. And his quote in this is this, the greatest of all temptations isn't to serve false gods as the monotheists like to think. Your danger in your life is not that you um, start, I think, worshiping other gods, right? I mean, That's a risk, but not really that big of a risk. The greatest of all temptations, equally hard to resist in abundance and in want. This is so good. In abundance and, because he wrote this book back a couple, like a year or two ago. So it's not like he knew that COVID was happening, right? In abundance and in want is to believe and act as if human beings lived by bread alone, as if their entire lives should revolve around the creation, improvement, and distribution of worldly goods. And he recalls that event where Jesus goes into the desert. He's tempted uh, by the accuser and says, you know, turn this bread into, or turn this rocks into bread and therefore you can eat. And, and this idea that Jesus speaks these words, a man shall not live on bread alone, but on the word of God and on, the, on life, on, on that. And what he's saying there is not just hunger. There's something more to it than that. This bread that comes, this idea of sustenance, of ordinary life, of fulfillment of all of my desires. Man does not live on the fulfillment. The greatest challenge that you and I will face in abundance and his want is to believe that life is about the acquisition of bread, the acquisition of more, the acquisition of comfort, the acquisition of uh, independence through financial independence, all of those types of things. And that is gonna be seriously challenged for three chapters in Matthew. And that's what we're going to be studying together. So with that common theme in mind, my homework assignment for you, and yeah, you're out of school if you're watching this and you're a student or whatever. I'm giving your parents some homework right now, right? Our homework for the next couple of weeks is with that as a backdrop, I want us to read through Matthew's chapter 5 through chapter 7 each week prior to showing up on Sunday. Now, 
Um, it's only three chapters, uh, and you have seven days to do it. So if you need to break it down into bite-sized pieces, you can do it. It's really not that hard. I don't care which translation you want to use. I'll send out a few options this week in the weekly for you to kind of read up on it and, and do it. Um, and each week, we'll address a, a little piece of it. And I'm not going to tell you which piece. We might jump around. We'll see. Um, but uh, this, with the whole context in mind, Jesus is challenging our assumptions on the affirmation of human life as the ultimate good and the best thing we can invest our lives into. And is there an alternative for something potentially better than this. The church is not unfamiliar with this territory. This is not uncharted territory uh, for the church. Um, Back in early 1940s, during World War II era, um, a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was uh, trying to pastor the church or his church or a collection of churches in in World War II Germany with the hyper-nationalism of Nazism and all of the things that are, the advancement, the war, the everything that's happening with all of that, right? And he gets arrested um, and, and put on trial and convicted of attempting to murder Hitler. And in it, um, he, in jail, while in jail, he begins to write letters to his church members, to his wife, to his constituencies, all these kind of things. And those letters were collected for us in a collection called the Letters and Writings from Prison. And some of his pastoral advice to some of his people as they're working through this, this adventum, right? Like nobody saw that coming, really. Um, this is the arrival of this new way of kind of doing life and doing things. And how do we make sense of this? Well, you know, fiddlesticks, now what? I mean, what, what do we do here? So it's not like this is a new thing for the church. Every once in a while we go through this. And one of the times that we went through this, he offers this advice to his people, his congregation during this time. It'll be the task of our generation not to seek great things, but to save and preserve our souls out of the chaos and to realize that it is the only thing we can carry as a prize from the burning building. And I know that's pessimistic on the outlook of where this is going forward for them, right? But he had every right to think that this was pessimistic. But what he's saying here is may, may we move forward questioning what the world tells us is the most valuable thing and the ultimate thing to address our life to. And may we instead understand the true prize and carry that out with us from the burning building. So for the next couple of weeks, that's what I want to do with you. Um, through Matthew chapter 5 and 7, may we invest our time and our attention and our energy in discovering what is the ultimate prize to take with us, which I think is a, a, a holistic view of our soul as we move forward uh, with all of this. So uh, that'll be it for this week. Uh, we are not going to be doing a Q&A after uh, our service today. Instead, if you've got questions or comments or about either stuff related to the message or just in life in general, um, or church-related or community-related or whatever, you can submit those in the chat. Andrew's going to be collecting some of those for us. And uh, on Tuesday, we record our Say Something Interesting podcast with Megan and Mallory, and we will be addressing some of those, some of the best and the brightest of those questions and going through with that. We'd love to have you partner with us and check that out. You can search Say Something Interesting through Apple Podcasts, or if you go to eastlaketricities.com slash podcast, you can find it on there as well. I don't really have any other announcements. We're not doing any other events right now, obviously, with everything going on. We do pray that you're uh, safe and home and healthy and, uh, and doing well and figuring out this new life, uh, whether you're raising kids in home and doing involuntary homeschooling or whatever the case may be. We do miss you like crazy and we can't wait uh, to uh, open our doors uh, someday once again. And I think it's going to be a pretty exciting Sunday whenever that takes place. I've got a quick benediction for you and then we're going to sign off. Here's what it says. Lord, some of us are never far from tears and some of us have forced ourselves not to cry. Direct our tears that they might flow with yours 
and cease when you smile upon us. Amen. May that go with you this week. Whatever it is you're facing, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you back next week for part two of Fiddlesticks Now What? A series on flourishing.